0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. How's everyone today? It's good, good to hear. That's really great. Uh, huge welcome to you, especially if you're a guest or visitor uh, here first time with us. Just really great to see you. And a warm welcome to those who are going to be joining us a little bit later on online. Uh, great to have you with us too, virtually. Some of my earliest memories of going to church are as a young boy growing up in Northern Ireland. Uh, my mom and dad would uh, dress me and my two younger brothers in our Sunday best. And uh, we would head off to church. Uh, Mom and dad would put a a coin in each one of our pockets. Uh, That was for uh, what they called back in the old country, the collection, which was the offering. And my brothers and I would would walk. Off we'd go to church. Uh, My parents never went, which I, I don't fully understand. But they would ship the three of us off to church. So as we were walking to church, there was this store on the way to church, yeah, you got, well, you guys are way ahead. Did you do the same thing? <laughs> and this store stole candy, and so we used to spend our collection money on candy, because the candy really was kind of one of the only things that got me through church uh, back in those days. Um, I was I was a preteen at this particular time, and my brothers were quite young at the time, and we would ship off to church. And I, I don't remember tons about the church. Uh, there are some things that I remember about the church. I, I remember uh, the smell actually of the church it's one of the, the strongest memories that I have. There was this strange mix between kind of stale, musty air and uh, these old wooden pews. I, I remember that I remember that an awful lot. I remember there were stained glass windows that were on the walls, which for for me as a young boy were, were way more imagination grabbing than any of the music or any of the talking that was going on. I used to like just look at these things and imagine. I would create these stories in my mind. Uh, Our church had a balcony in it. And I remember as a kid, we would always sit in the balcony. And I have these vivid memories of wondering if I could jump from the balcony and grab the chandeliers that hung over the congregation. And I wondered, like, if I could just swing from chandelier to chandelier over top of them. Is anyone looking at the lights now? No? No? (laughs) I remember doing that. I I vividly remember these stained glass windows were like two-story stained glass windows, so they went right up to the balcony and all the way down. And we used to take our candy wrappers and we would throw them because they would shoot down and off the end of the windowsills. I remember that vividly. I I, re- I remember you know I remember being shushed. I, I remember giggling. You know when you kind of you know when you kind of get that 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 giggling and you try to hold it back but you can't and it just makes it worse. I remember that in church. I vividly remember it. I remember nothing about the rest of the content of church. I have no memories of what went on. Well, I don't know what your memories are like of church. I don't know if you have memories that are similar to mine. I don't know if you have no memories of church growing up. I don't know if you have good memories, I don't know if you have bad memories and bad experiences. I certainly hope that since coming to C4 that you have some good memories about worship. I hope that you've been able to enjoy the Oh, did I say enjoy? I hope you've been able to enjoy the worship, you know, that we share together here at church. Well, this summer, we're doing this great series on the book of Psalms called Let the Light In. And, and the book of Psalms, you know, Pastor John, you know, he's gone out, he's learning, he's always learning. So he's used this analogy of a golf bag, something he knows absolutely nothing about. And, but I, I golf a fair bit. But it's a great analogy that he's used. You know, in, in your golf bag, you have 13 clubs. And those clubs, a maximum of 13, you're allowed 13 clubs. And you use a different club for different circumstances, for different shots when you play golf. And so it is with the book of Psalms. We've been studying the different genres, the different types of Psalms that are in the book of Psalms. So that when we find ourselves in these various life situations, we can use a psalm. That's appropriate for that particular situation. The book of Psalms is wonderful like that. It is truly like a golf bag. And so it's really helpful for us. And this morning, as Joanna has properly said, we're going to focus in on Psalm 95. And so if you have a Bible, whether it's a paper one like mine or where it's an electronic Bible, we're going to focus in on Psalm 95, which is a praise Psalm. Psalms 93 through to 99 are all praise psalms. Now, they're not just the only praise psalms in the scripture, but 93 through to 99 are praise psalms, and each one of the psalms takes a different attribute of God and uses it as a focus in worship. Psalm 95 focuses on the one that we're talking about this morning. Psalm 95 focuses in on the greatness of God and says that we need to worship God in all of His greatness. And so that's what we'll be focusing in on this morning. Now, Psalm 95 doesn't have a superscript like Psalm 51 we talked about last week, so we don't know very much about Psalm 95. The only thing really that we know about it is the the author is likely King David, and that's because the author of Hebrews quotes out of Psalm 95 in Hebrews chapter 4 and says, as David said, and so, you know, we can make this kind of a little bit of a leap there and say it's likely one of David's Psalms, Psalm 95, but that's really all we know about it. We don't know what any of the other circumstances are around the writing of this psalm. See, we need to worship God in every avenue and in every area of our lives. We need to know what it's like to be a worshiper of God at church, in our private lives, in school, at work, with our families. And Psalm 95 is a great psalm about worship, but it really only focuses in on one area of our lives. Psalm 95 is all about worshiping God at church. It's all about worshiping God at church. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 95 and what it has to say to you and me about worshiping God at church. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but worship doesn't automatically happen the moment you walk in through the church doors, either here or anywhere else. There are choices that I need to make, and there are choices that you need to make when it comes to worshiping God. There are choices that we make long before we ever get to church on a Sunday morning, and there are choices that we make all through the service every Sunday morning. A Sunday morning, just like this, there are choices that we make that significantly influence our worship at church. And Psalm 95 has a lot to say to us about worshiping God at church. So let's look at this great psalm this morning. And see what Psalm 95 has to tell us about worshiping God at church. The first thing that I see in Psalm 95 about worshiping God at church is this. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate. Verse 1 says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Right away we see that Psalm 95 is about worshiping God at church. Notice right here in the first verse, let us is mentioned twice. And as we go through Psalm 95, you'll see this little; these two words are repeated over and over again. Let us, let us, let us. So Psalm 95 is corporate in nature. It is a collective psalm. That's why it has so much to tell us about worshiping God together. And the place that we worship God the most together is at church. And so I believe that Psalm 95 tells us about that. See, here's the wonderful thing about worship. This is what we got to understand about worship. It's so cool. Six days a week, you get to script your own worship service. It's awesome. You can do whatever you want six days a week in worship. You can sing whatever you want. You can pray as much or as little as you want. You can even listen to whatever preacher you want to listen to. It's totally up to you. You get to be the worship leader. You get to do everything all by yourself six days a week. But one day a week... One day a week, we gather together and we worship together. And this psalm is about that one day a week. It's not about the other six days a week. It's about when we corporately gather together like this and we get to worship together. This psalm starts off with the word come. And it's a good translation. It's an accurate translation. But unfortunately, it doesn't kind of pack the punch that the Hebrew would have had for the readers of the original day. See, we, we hear the word come, and because we're Canadians, we think come is like, oh, oh you know, uh, sorry, like, c- come on in. Like, we, we think it's like, oh, come, come, like, if you're ready, like, no pressure, like, come, come if you want to. But that's not what the Hebrew reads at all. What the Hebrew reads here has a real sense of urgency behind it. It has a sort of a sense of passion behind it it's more like uh, like other words that you could use would be like like get moving like move it let's go everybody it'd be like if we were going to herd you in from the lobby in into the main auditorium here and people were behind you like with cattle prodders and they were like zzz, zzz, come on let's go get in there get in there it's late you know that's the kind of idea that's behind this it's like come on let's go let's get in there let's get going let's get started on this thing so it's, it's, it's this sense of anticipation that is behind this invitation to come and to worship God at church. I've had the great privilege of being in services, uh, you know, in many different countries around the world. In different cultures, I've, I've gone to worship services and experienced all kinds of things. I've seen people singing really loudly, and I've, uh, you know, seen where people sing, you know, very quietly and very softly. I've sat in profound worship services where it's been silent for long extended periods of time. I've been led through well-defined liturgies that are powerful and the choice of words are so significant and so deep and so rich. And I've been in places where it has been really obvious there's been no planning at all. I've seen dancing, and can I just say a quick aside? No one dances like our African brothers and sisters. Okay, amen. Can I get an amen? Okay, all right. I've seen whistleblowing. I've seen and heard yelling and screaming and shouting. I remember there was this one time I was in a service in Rwanda, and and this person just was, was so caught up in the worship of God that she picked up her chair, her plastic chair, and she was dancing around with her chair in the air, and I was like, Jen, the camera, quickly, the camera, we got to catch this. I remember this one other, I was preaching at this one church in Kenya one time, and during the worship, one of the pastors, one of the associate pastors, got so excited that he just started running all over the auditorium. And I'm like, what is going on in this place? But, you know, like he was just giving his all for He just had to let it out. He was so excited because he knew that there was this invitation to celebrate. Psalm, you know, Psalm, Psalm 94 Sorry, sorry, no, Psalm 95 opens by telling us that you and I have this opportunity to celebrate. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Again, you know, the English is not bad here. It's a good translation. It's really accurate. But, but it just, again, it kind of, it kind of betrays. The psalmist has in mind here making a joyful noise that is as loud as you can possibly make it. That's what, that's what verse 1 is really saying. You know, as loud as you can make it, that's what you're to bring to Jesus when we come. The words that are used here for sing and shout aloud are words that are used for battle cries. And and the psalmist, again, uses some words. This this shout aloud, the phrase that the psalmist uses here, was meant to evoke a memory in the people of Israel. See, we, we miss this. Very intentionally, what the psalmist is trying to do is point back to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 4. You know what happened there? The children of Israel just crossed the Red Sea and they come up against the first fortified city, and man, it's a doozy that they come up against. It's Jericho. This thing is well fortified. And God says, Okay, I gotta let you know that it's actually about worshiping me. It's not by your own might or by your own strength. It's actually by me that you take down these great cities and these great strongholds. So here's how we're going to capture the first city and the most fortified one. Seven days, I just want you to go out and walk around the city. But on the last day, when you walk around the city, the, the Levites and the priests are supposed to blow their trumpets. And children of Israel, when you hear the loud, sustained blow of the trumpet, I want you to yell as loud as you possibly can. Just let it out. Go Oh, crazy and yell. And when the children of Israel did this, the walls came tumbling down and the city was delivered into their hands. That's the same term that the psalmist uses in verse 1. And the, the people reading this psalm and understanding this as they go into worship, when they say, shout aloud, they would have gone, oh, Jericho. That's what we're being asked to do. And so we're supposed to shout aloud when we come to worship God. Like, if I was going to do my own Bible translation, here's what I would say in Psalm uh, 95 and verse 1. I'm not going to do that, but here's how I would do it. I would say, hurry up, get into church, and make some noise for Jesus. That's how I translate it. But no one cares how I'm going to translate it. So here's the good thing about Psalm 1. Here's the great thing about Psalm 95 and verse 1 for you and I. You don't have to be talented. Like, you don't have to be like Chris and the musicians up here. There's no talent necessary. Some of you, this is good news for you, okay? Hey, listen, you don't even have to be on key. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to rehearse like these guys when they come at like 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday to rehearse so that they can lead us. You don't even have to do that. Stay in bed. Stay in bed till like a quarter to nine, then come to church. Because all you've got to be is loud. That's all you got to do. Just be loud. Make a joyful noise. Yeah. Just bring it. Just bring your best and your loudest to Jesus. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, Dave, it's already loud enough in here as it is, man. Are you kidding me? Now you want us to be loud too? Yes, I do. I want you to be really loud. You know why you need to be loud? Because look who you're being loud for. Let us sing for joy to who? the Lord. And let's make this big noise for who? The rock of our salvation. You see, like I said last week, when you know that your sins have been forgiven, when you know that formerly those of you who were trapped and caught and entangled, that that's all been broken and you've been set free, man, you can make some noise, right? Yeah, so that's what we need to do. So have you been loud yet today? Whoa, yeah, that was overwhelming. Oh, ease up on me a little bit, please. You're going to blow me off the stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, been loud, Jesus. Yeah, seriously, get loud, okay. So Psalm 95 also tells us that worship at church is an invitation to encounter. In verses 2 through 5, I see this. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. What does it mean to come before him? Well, it means an audience. It's a term that was used when officials would come before royalty, or when Priests or prophets would go and inquire of the Lord. To come before the Lord is to have an audience with him. And so in this psalm, we are told that there's an invitation for us to come and encounter the great God of the universe. When we gather for worship together at church, God is in our midst Now, we may not be able to see him with physical eyes, but we believe that he shows up every time we gather together to worship like this. Like, do you believe that? Think about it for a moment. The great God of the universe, that's why the psalmist goes on here. He is the great king, the great king above all gods. He made everything, the creations all made by him. Everything is in his hands, and what he's saying is, and you get to come before him. you get to have an audience with him as we gather together to worship a church. The one who is present among us, the one who has revealed himself as father, son and holy Spirit, is present here among us even this morning. We come and we perform. You and I come, and we actually perform before the audience of one. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Niagara Falls way back 100 years ago. Um, there was a girl who started coming to our youth group who didn't know Jesus yet, and, and she just got integrated into our group, and then we had an opportunity to go on a retreat up at Muskoka Woods. And, and I'll never forget the Friday night experience. So we're all gathered there. There's like 400, you know, teens. And they are making some noise for God. Like it is loud. And the worship band cranked it up. And people are jumping around. And they're, you know, they're, they're just singing their hearts out. They're giving everything they can in worship. And about two-thirds of the way through the worship, I went over to, to this young woman. And, and I said to her, are you okay? Because she was standing there. And she was just crying. There was just tears just flowing down her face. And she said to me, I've met Jesus. I've met Jesus. And I'm like, but that's not possible. No one's preached yet. You can't have met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? And what she said was, she said, I looked around and I saw those, my peers, worshiping with reckless abandon. And Jesus met me in the midst of worship. You see, he always shows up when his people praise him. He inhabits the praises of his people. And when we come, yeah, when we come together to worship God at church, we need to be reminded that we come before him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm 24, verses 9 and 10 are verses that I just love. Psalm 24, 9 and 10 says this, Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? this king of glory, the Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Ancient Near Eastern temple doors. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of ancient Near Eastern temples, but it's astounding when you look at pictures of of these structures because the doors are enormous. They're, They're just huge. Like they're they're four, five, or ten times higher than what's needed for a normal human being to go in and out. And you see, the theory behind it was that the people who were worshipping whatever God this temple represented and this temple was built for, the, the size of your God was dictated by the size of the door. <laughs> and the bigger the door, presumably the more powerful your God was. So if you had a huge door, like a 50 meter door, then your God was a really big do- God because you need a big door to let your God into the building. And, and there was always like these two columns on, on either side, but the big beam that went across was called the head. Now, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. Why? Because our God's so big that you have to blow the top off the doors just to get him in the building. That's what's so awesome about this psalm. So whatever you built this temple for can't contain our God. we got to make the door really wide open. See, that's the God that you and I have an invitation to encounter as we come to worship a church. We are to come before our God, the one who is among us, who is here even now by his Holy Spirit, the one who has revealed himself. And we remember him, Psalm 95 reminds us, we remember him with thanksgiving. We remember him as we come, as we as we come to encounter him. We remember all of the things that he has done for us. We remember him with thanksgiving and we extol him. We praise him because of who he is. See, the choice that we get to make as we come together to worship is we come to be loud in our worship of God because he is worthy of all of that. But as we encounter him, we remember everything that he's done for us with thanksgiving, and we remember his character and his nature as he is among us. Have you encountered him today? See, he's an invitation. He's here. He always shows up. The invitation is always in front of us to encounter him. Well, Psalm 95 also tells us that worship at church is a call to reverence. Verses 6 and 7 say this, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Again, the psalmist starts verse 6 with the word come, but it's a different word. Same English word as verse 1, but it's a different Hebrew word. This one is not a kind of a cattle prod come. Actually, this word that the Hebrew that's used here is a command. There's a command now to come. See, now you've already entered into his presence. You're already at church. You've come and you've brought it really loud. And there's this invitation to encounter. But how do you now, how do you appropriately encounter God? Well, the psalmist says, okay, so what I command you now to do is to approach God with reverence and awe. Come, kneel and bow down to show proper awe and respect before God who is our maker. See, when you really understand God, when you really understand the nature of God, when you really understand who it is that you're encountering, one of the appropriate responses is awe, wonder, reverence, fear, and respect, because he is the great God of the universe. You know, sometimes people ask me, you know, hey, Dave, what's the right emotional response in worship? You know, sometimes as I look around the auditorium, I see, you know, some people have their eyes closed uh, during worship. Some people are always smiling during worship. People have their hands raised. Some people are kneeling. You know, some people, you know, they do different stuff. Here's what I think. I think we need to focus exclusively on God in worship and let our emotions follow. See, because there is no proper emotional response. How on earth can you dictate how someone will emotionally respond when they're confronted with the God of the universe? Like I think of Revelation chapter 1, Jesus' best friend, John, who had been with Jesus for three and a half years and was really up close and personal with Jesus, spent a lot of time. Yet when John sees the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1, what happens to him? He says, I fell down like a dead man. He encountered the risen Christ. And it just blew him away. Isaiah in chapter 6 of that great book. When he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he sees the holiness of God. And he says, woe is me for I am undone. Like I'm, I'm blown away. I'm ruined. I'm a dead man. Because he saw the awesome holiness of God. Or in Hebrews chapter 12 at the end of the chapter. Where the author of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. See, I don't know what the proper emotional response is when you come before that kind of a God. But I say we should not be afraid. We should approach God because he has given us an invitation to encounter him. And as we encounter him, it should move us from exuberant praise and loud worship to the sense of awe and reverence and respect and holy fear For the one who we are encountering and the one who stands before us. Did you notice the shift between verses six and seven? The psalmist has been talking all the way through. And the psalmist now says there's a focus. The focus has changed from God's greatness as creator to now God as our shepherd and savior. We are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. And I love I love what God is saying here through the psalmist. See, we've come in with this loud praise and worship. And we have this invitation to encounter. And as we encounter the living God, we're like, Oh, oh my goodness, I am undone. Because now the holy, holy, holy one is right in front of me. And I understand my own sinfulness. And that he is uncreated. And I am created. And, and I'm, I'm a dead person. And then the, sh- the psalm shifts and says but he's personal. He's relational. See, he is my God. He's not just the great God out there. He is now my God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I am one of the sheep under his care. He is my shepherd. He is my pastor. He is my Lord and Savior. Here's why I think the psalmist does this. The deeper our relationship with God, the more profound our sense of awe and reverence will become. See, I, I think sometimes we're in in danger. Like everything's just you know cool with Jesus, me and it's all about me and Jesus. But when we and it is true on one level. But when we understand who He is, it dictates such awe and respect from us, and that is one of the experiences that we need to have as we worship God at church. Well, then, finally, Psalm 95 also tells us that worship at church is a request for response. Look at the last half of verse 7, or the last line of verse 7, and right to the end of the chapter. Today, if you hear his voice... When I was in school and seminary, we had a, a prof, an Old Testament prof, who used to always just drill into us. Anytime you see the name of a place or a person or a thing in Scripture, God always puts it in there for a reason. So you better know what it means. And so there's an Old Testament reference here to two places. So we need to understand, why are these two places now? Why do they come up in Psalm 95, a psalm about worship? Well, the two Old Testament references are... Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20. And what's happened is the children of Israel have crossed over into the promised land. They've crossed, sorry, they've crossed over the Red Sea and they're in the desert. They haven't gone into the promised land yet. So they've, they've crossed, sorry, they have crossed over, yeah, the Dead Sea and they're going in. And, and they start grumbling and complaining against their leaders and against God Because they're like, oh, you know what? It's hot out here. It's dry. We don't have any water. You know, it would be better if we were just back in Egypt. And they grumble against Moses and against Aaron. And they grumble against the Lord. And because of their grumbling, God is displeased with them. God provides for them. But he says, this generation who have grumbled and complained against the leadership and against me are not going to enter the promised land. You're going to wander for 40 years in the desert till all of that generation dies off and then the next generation I'm going to take in. Hardness of heart was what kept them out for so long. Unbelief was their sin. And the answer for hardness of heart is hearing the voice of God and responding to the voice of God. See, Psalm 95 ends with a solemn warning against unbelief and hardness of heart. See, here's what I find so interesting about Psalm 95. There's no hope at the end of Psalm 95. There's no reprieve at the end of Psalm 95. Like if I was writing Psalm 95, verse 12 would be, and everybody learned their lesson and everything was all good and everybody had a great time at church. Amen. But it doesn't end that way. It's sharp. It's cutting at the end. It's this warning at the end of Psalm 95. You see, as you encounter God in worship at church, you need to expect to hear from Him. Because He's a personal God. And if you expect to hear from Him, He requires that you and I respond. Today, today, if you hear His voice... And then that's why the whole explanation about Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 is given. It's an example of what happens when people today don't hearken to the voice of God and don't do what God tells them. It serves as a warning. But as we come together to worship God at church, Psalm 95 tells us that when you hear the voice of God, respond. How does God speak to us? How does God speak to us in a worship time? And when we gather together, well, of course, in the songs that we sing. Like when we offer our worship, God is speaking. Yeah, we're singing back to God. But so often we're singing scripture or pieces of scripture or there's scriptural themes that are running through the songs that we're singing. And so the voice of God speaks through scripture. And as we worship him, as we are adoring him, as we're praising him together, God is speaking to us. Of course, through the Word of God, as the Word of God is read. Like Joanna, you know, during our time, she, she read one of the other psalms to us. God is speaking to you when Scripture is read. Of course, when the, the sermon is preached every every week, um, God is speaking, you know, through the person who is preaching, but also the Word of God as it's just read, and as you see it up on the screens, God is speaking to you. What about that still, small voice The whispers of the Holy Spirit, your conscience, or that nudge. What about when you're convicted of something? That conviction of sin that comes. It's God speaking to you. You know, the time that you should worry is not when God speaks to you and convicts you of things. The time that you should really worry is if you've gone a long time and God's not convicting you of anything. That's when you should get really nervous. But God speaks to us throughout the worship service. What about promptings? You know, we open every service and we say, you know, we are open to the promptings here. And some people have the spiritual gift of prophecy. And so God, you know, will bring a word or a picture or a scripture to them. And sometimes we share it with the whole congregation. But what about those times when you receive that personally? But what about those times when we do share the promptings? It's God speaking to the whole church. Because he wants to say things to us. What about when you're just, you know, hanging out in the lobby or you're doing the meet and greet time and, and you've, been, you've been wrestling through an issue. You have a question. You have a decision to make. There's, there's a circumstance in your life that you're just praying through and searching the scripture through and you're not sure. And somebody comes along and says, Hey, you know what, Dave? I was praying for you this week and I just want to tell you this. And you're like, oh my goodness. How could they possibly have known about that? See, I believe that God is speaking all the time when we gather together to worship like this. All the time. The question is, are we listening? See, that's the question. Are we listening? And if we are listening, are we responding appropriately to what God is asking of us? See, I have a huge pastoral concern That many people come to church and they hear and they determine, they predetermine in their hearts and their minds long before they ever walk through those doors that they are not going to respond to the voice of God. A God who loves you so much. A God who is for you, not against you. He speaks to you and yet some of us harden our hearts against the voice of God. We simply stop listening to the voice of God. And there will come a time when God will stop speaking. Some people come to church for social connections. Some people come to church to visit with family. Some people come to church out of tradition and a thousand other reasons. We come to church for God. Not for us. We come to give him our loud praise. We come to encounter him. We come to pay him awe and reverence, and we come ready to say yes to whatever he asks of us. That's why we come to church. Psalm 95 reminds us that worshiping God is a serious business. Worshiping God at church is a corporate and individual serious act that we participate in. God is mighty. He is powerful. He is worthy of our exuberant praise. But he also demands our awe and our respect. As we encounter him in corporate worship, he demands that you and I listen and respond appropriately. There must be an unbroken link between how we worship him and how we live our lives. Psalm 95 is a great club in your golf bag that you can bring out every Sunday morning on your drive to church and be reminded of why you're actually coming to church. We come to worship God together at church. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for this great invitation that is right in front of us in your scripture to hurry up, to come, and to worship you. And I thank you that we still have time this morning to give you our best in worship and praise. So, Lord, you know, burn this stuff into my mind and into my heart and into the hearts and minds of our my friends here. I want to be in a church, and I want us to be known as a church who knows how to worship you in spirit and in truth, because those are the worshipers that you're looking for. So, Lord, um, be pleased with what we continue to offer you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning... Pastor Chris and the team are now going to lead us in a couple of songs so that we get some extended time to respond. But, you know, I, I was thinking one of the events that actually brings all of these things together is communion. You know, this great time to celebrate. It's a great time to encounter Jesus. You know, this great time to pay respect in awe and reverence and to actually meet Jesus and listen to his voice. And so this morning we're going to have past communion Yashua's going to bring it down, and they're going to pass it, and so we just can participate in your seats. And Pastor Chris and the team are going to lead us. And so, however, I don't care what your neighbor's doing. Listen clearly. I don't care what your neighbor's doing. It's not about your neighbor. Whatever God asks you to do in praise and worship and thanksgiving in response to all that he's done for you, would you have the courage just to do that and just live it right out today? Now, if you are a Christian, you are welcome to participate in this communion. But if you haven't come to faith yet in Jesus, if you're just checking out church and faith, then we would just ask you not to participate because you haven't come to know the one yet that this represents. The wafer, the bread represents the broken body of Christ that was given freely for you and I for the forgiveness of our sins as he became our substitute on the cross. The juice represents the blood of Christ which was shed for me and for you because the scripture says without the shedding of blood there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and I. And we take these symbols, we take these emblems as a celebration that we have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves, and it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we come to celebrate today. So let's celebrate that appropriately today as we worship together. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.